there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are in week two uh, of our series entitled Christmas Presence. Um, we've been talking about God being with us, that, that whole concept of Emmanuel, uh, that his presence is our present. And so last week, if you weren't here, we looked at Mary and we talked about God being present with us in the chaos of life. And we just paused and talked about how difficult life must have been for Mary. She was engaged. She had her whole life in front of her. And then all of a sudden, an angel, angel of the Lord appears to her and says, you're going to be pregnant. And she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And it turned her life upside down. And we looked at the fact that when life is chaotic, we sometimes forget that God is still with us. Today's title is God with us when no one else is. And so let me begin by asking you a question. You don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever been alone for long periods of time? And, and not by choice. Like some people like to be alone. There, there are hermits in the world that just would rather buy 3,000 acres and put a house right in the middle and never leave and never see another soul. Um, but it's, you know, have you ever just been alone and you didn't really want to be alone? So I went to Bible college uh, and uh, I got into some trouble. Now, uh, the trouble is relative when you talk about Bible college, but uh, the, the school I went to uh, was Mid-Atlantic Christian University, very conservative school, uh, and we had to sign contracts, uh, things like we will not go watch rated R movies. We will not listen to songs with explicit lyrics. Uh, we had all kinds of rules, and one of the rules we had, these, this is a college campus, was everything shut down at 11. So you had to be in the dorm by 11. We had a hard, fast curfew. Uh, but this was the early 90s, and so they didn't have security cameras and rings, and they didn't have alarms, and I had a dorm room on the bottom floor. And so lots of times after curfew, myself and three or four of my buddies would sneak out my window. We'd always park someone's car kind of off campus a little bit, uh, and we would sneak out the window, and when we're walking through this small Bible college campus, there are professors' houses and stuff. We're dodging people, um, and we would get into the car and go get into mischief. Now, we didn't go clubbing or, or anything like that. Uh, we would go to the gas station, and they had an old Gallica uh, video game, and we would go there with a pocket full of quarters, and we would try to be, beat each other's high scores, uh, and then we would get it like a gas station hot dog. We would always end the night by everybody buying their own can of potted meat. Now, remember like the deviled ham, the potted meat? Okay, don't worry, we didn't eat it. Um, and we would always end the night by going somewhere in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where we could find something to jump off of. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but if you take a can of potted meat and I would put it on the floor right here and I would jump off this stage and hit it with my heel, it would explode all over. You'd be in the splash zone right here. So we would do that and we would videotape it. Then two or three in the morning, we would sneak back in uh, and you know, get up bleary-eyed and go to class. L long story short, we got caught. 
And our punishment was being dormed. And being dormed was awful because here, here's what it looked like. You were allowed to get up and go to class. You were allowed to go to the cafeteria if you had a meal plan. But as soon as that was over, you had to be in your room. You couldn't leave your room. I mean, you go to the bathroom down the hallway in the, you know, in the communal bathroom, but you, you, you were dormed. And so a week, and my roommate when I was a freshman was a senior, so he was never there. Uh, so I spent a week alone with nothing to do but study, and I don't, didn't like to study. So after that week, I was so ready to be around people. I hated being alone. What about you? Have you ever felt all alone? Uh, maybe you live alone, or maybe this is your first Christmas alone, or maybe you've lived alone for a long time, and, and so uh, this is a battle that reoccurs in your life, this feeling of being lonely and alone. And the holidays only intensify that, right? Everybody else is going to someone's house for Christmas, and I'm stuck at home alone. Maybe you uh, have felt alone because of something you did in your life, something shameful, and everybody has bailed on you because of your poor decisions, and you're just left feeling all alone. Maybe you feel alone due to a stance that you took. You stood up for something that nobody else would, and so in your office, it's everybody against you. In your class, it's everybody wants to do this but you, and so you feel alone. And maybe you feel alone because of a great loss. You lost someone you love due to death or divorce, and even in a crowded room like this, full of people, you still feel alone. You know, I've come to find when we feel like that, I often think that we feel like God is not there either. I am just all alone. And I'm here to proclaim a truth to you that nothing could be further from the truth. God is with us even when nobody else is. When people turn against us, we have the promise of, from God that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So uh, let's do something if you're brave enough here. Just show of hands real quick. All right. How many of you in this room give some thought to what people think about you, okay? Qu quite a few of us, all right? Let's go, let's go a step further. How many even in this room give too much thought to what people think about you, all right? Now, how many of you in this room didn't raise your hand because you were worried about what people were gonna think about you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but, but let me ask you this. How many of you in this room are what we would call people pleasers? People pleasers. All right, yeah, I told you you didn't have to raise your hand, but you're a people pleaser, so you raised your hand, so I wouldn't be mad at you, right? So the term people pleaser, if you would look it up, roughly means this. A people pleaser refers to a person who has a strong urge to please others, even at their own expense. They feel that their own wants and needs do not matter. 
And people pleasers will often alter their personality around others to please other people. Now, I'm just here to tell you, I am not a member of the People Pleaser Club. I am the president, right? I am a people pleaser. I have always been that way. It is a fight. I have to fight against it. It comes so natural to me. And then to top it all off, God led me into a career where what people think about me matters. But here's what I found to be true. And you can say this is cliche, but I have found this to be absolutely truth. You can please some of the people some of the time, but you cannot please all the people all the time. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are some people in this world that just simply are not going to like you. They're not going to like the way you look. They might not like the way you talk. They might not like the way you act. And you've done nothing to them, but there are some people in this world that are simply not going to like you. There are going to be people in this world who will talk ill about you, who will gossip and slander your name. There will be some people in this world that will leave you at the first sign of trouble. You cannot please everyone. People will often ask me, you know, they try to, try to corner me and they say, well, all right, preacher, is, is there something that God cannot do? They'll often ask me that. Can he make a rock so big that he can't lift? Like kind of that philosophical question. Is there something that God can't do? And I always say, absolutely. He cannot please everybody. Jesus was perfect and they nailed him to a tree. So, so you can't please everybody, right? Now you can tick everybody off pretty quick, but you're never gonna be able to please anybody. So if you're a people pleaser and you feel alone and isolated because of that, you came to the right Sunday during this series. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today as we continue to look at this Christmas presents. Like I said, last week we looked at Mary. This week we're going to look at Joseph. And so before we get into Matthew chapter 1, like we did last week, I just want you to put yourself in Joseph's in his shoes. He's got this beautiful Galilean girl that he perhaps he grew up with together in the same village, and he loves her, and he asks her to, to marry him, and she says yes, and so they're in this year-long engagement period, right? And, and he's got his whole life in front of him, and Mary calls him and says, hey, Joseph, I need you to meet me at the, you know, the Galilean grill. Uh, we got to talk. And so they're there, and Joseph is like so excited to see his fiance, and, and she says, I'm pregnant. And Joseph scratches his head because he knows that, well, we, we haven't done anything. And then he begins to think, hmm, like I said last week, I knew that guy at the well was eyeing you up, and I knew you were kind of looking at him too, all right? And so imagine what his mind is going through. And then she says, well, it's, it's from the Holy Spirit, this is God's child. So when news gets out, can you imagine his family and friends, the advice they gave him? They're probably saying, you need to end it. You, you, you need to walk away. But he loves Mary. And so I'm sure he felt conflicted. I'm sure he felt all alone. He had to feel all alone, right? Because there's only been one human being who's ever had a virgin birth. 
his wife, Mary. So no one knows what Joseph, he was all alone. But in the midst of that, we see God intervene. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 today, and we're going to pick up in verse 18. We saw Mary's side of the story. Now let's see Joseph's. Matthew writes, now the birth of Jesus Christ, let me, let me pause right here, just, and I think everyone knows this, that's not the last name of Jesus Christ. Like it wasn't Joseph Christ that married Mary, it was Mary and Joseph Christ and their son Jesus. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. It means chosen one. So this is the birth of the Messiah. It took place in this way. When his mother married, had been betrothed, we talked about that last week, that's engaged, but it's a deeper engagement than we have here in America, which we'll get to again in a second. So when his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph, before they came together, this is before they consummated the marriage, before they lay together, before they were intimate, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 19. Her husband, Joseph, then let's stop right there. Wait a minute, I just thought they were engaged. Remember what I talked about last week? When you got engaged in that culture and even still today in that area of the world, uh, even though you weren't officially married yet, you were called husband and wife. And you couldn't just break off an engagement by like, here's your ring, you had to go get a divorce, okay? So uh, her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame. Uh, again, we, it, we, it gets lost in translation, but in that culture, in that region of the world, this would, have been, this would have been the end of life as Mary knew it. Think scarlet letter times a thousand. Okay, so Joseph, being a just man, he didn't want to put any more shame that was already going to come upon her, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, I think you know this, but let me just pause and say this. He could have done this publicly, right? He could have brought charges against her. He could have went and talked to her father and her brothers and said, look, uh, she was betrothed to be me, uh, and she's with another man's child, and so I am going to bring charges against her. And under the Jewish law, what would have happened to Mary? She would have been stoned to death, but he didn't. He was a just man. 1 Peter 4 tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we know that Mary didn't sin, but in everyone else's eyes, she did. And I'm sure everyone would have understood and been on Joseph's side if he ended the relationship. But I'm equally sure that his decision to stay with Mary put him at odds with many of the people in his life. Joseph was alone, so he thought, but God was with him. God's presence came upon him. And so if you are a note taker, we've got outlines on those little tables back there, or you can use our app to, if you're a digital person. Uh, but I want to give you three things to remember from this text as we dig into it uh, regarding when, when you feel all alone, all right? So he, he, here's number one, and this is for people pleasers in here. Uh, people pleasers, raise your hands one more time. All right, so this is for us. Point number one is this. Pleasing God 
sometimes means disappointing people. Let me say that again. Pleasing God sometimes means disappointing people. Look at verse 20. As we go further down into the text here, he's talking about Joseph. But as he considered these things. See, he, he, wasn't, he hadn't made his mind up yet, but he's got everyone in his ear saying, you need to divorce her. You need to get rid of her. This is going to tar your name. But as he considered these things, and I want you to think about, again, the range of emotions here. The woman that he loves is pregnant. It's not his. And then she tells him this outrageous story. And so in his mind, I can only think through humanity and the flesh that we're wrapped in, Joseph thought one of two things. Number one, she's lying. There is another guy. Or number two, she's crazy. She's delusional. Maybe it's my time to, to exit stage right on this relationship. Not to mention, what's everybody else going to think? I mean, he was a carpenter in a small village. Are people in my village even going to want to do business with me? Am I setting myself up to be a pariah? This huge range of emotions. Now, his emotions are about to be heightened because an angel appears to him in a dream. We'll continue reading. Behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the directive the angel gives to Joseph is this, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now I ask you, why would the angel say, do not fear taking Mary as your wife? Because he was probably afraid to take her as his wife. What's everybody going to say? What's my family going to say? And you've got the angel saying, no, take her as your wife. She's telling you the truth. Even though everyone in your family, everyone in your circle, everyone in your village, everyone in your small town might be disappointed, but with God, he will be pleased. And I think we need to, need to take note because it's easy for us to sit here on this side of it, and we've read the text a hundred times, you know, in our lives, and we know the angel only appeared to two people, Mary and Joseph. So all the other people in the village, in the small town, when they said, well, she's pregnant, but this angel came to both of us and the Holy Spirit, you know, touched her womb and she became pregnant. You, you know what everyone's probably response was? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But this decision that would please God, would be very disappointing to, to man. I don't know who, who to give the credit for for this quote. Um, I will tell you that, that this outline is derived from a man named Chuck Souter. I don't know Chuck, but he really had a cool outline, and so I, I used some of it. Uh, so I'm going to give the quote to him, but, but he, here's, here's the quote. We give our best to what we value most. We give our best to what we value most. So hear me, people pleasers. If we value being liked by man, we're going to give our best effort, the best of ourselves, trying to please people. And you know what the net result of that is? You're going to wear yourself out. You are going to crash and you are going to burn because that is an impossible order to fill. So something to remember 
as we get ready to, to, to move, move on here in a second, is this. And it's in your outline. It's not, it's a sub point. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again. I'm going to keep repeating myself. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. I was a basketball player in high school and, and in college, but I also ran uh, track, and in seventh grade, <clears throat> I decided I wanted to run cross country, uh, and I had never been a runner. And uh, I don't know if you've ever run cross country, and if you're not a runner, it's not a great idea, because uh, you, you get together and you run, like 5 or 10K, right? So, so uh, at seventh grade, I ended up becoming a, a decent runner in high school, and I, I've, I've run pretty much my whole life. But in the seventh grade, my first year, I was horrible. I mean, I was just, I, I walked more than I ran, and I was just awful. And, and I, I'll never forget, we had our first cross-country meet and uh, uh, we took off, and everyone was running, and before I knew it, I found myself in last place. And I don't mean like barely, I mean last, last place. And all I could think about when I was just coming through, you know, when you come to the finish line, everybody else is, you know, gone, right, because they've already got their trophies and left, and I'm still running. I come through, and a few people give me that, like, little courtesy clap. Oh, you can do it, right? And I felt so humiliated because what is everybody going to think about me? Well, the cool thing as circumstances would have it, my dad was there and my dad was a truck driver. And so for him to be there was a miracle because he was always on the road. And uh, I'll never forget, we, we were walking to the truck and I am just beat down. Like I'm done with running. I'm never going to do this again. I humiliated myself in front of all these people. And my dad, who would make a horrible millennial parent, right? because he does not believe in participation trophies or anything like that. Uh, for, for, so for him to say this well, was a big deal. He said, man, I am so proud of you. He said, you, you, I thought you were, when you said you were going to run cross country, that you would never finish a race. He said, it's your first race. You're going to get better. And when my dad gave me that affirmation, nothing else mattered. You see, becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. And I know some of you have come in here today beat down by what people have said, written, talked about you, even your own family members. But I'm here to tell you that's not how God views you. God thinks the world of you. He loves you. All right, point number two is this. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from the sleep, from this dream that the angel intruded his sleep pattern with, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. I love that phrase. He did as the angel commanded him. He did the hard thing. He did what everyone else told him not to do. He took Mary as his wife. And I'm sure everybody criticized him for it. 
I remember telling my family, not, not just my immediate parents, but, but my, my family extended that, <laughs> that I was going to go into ministry. And I wish you knew me before. I really do. Uh, and I mean, after they picked themselves off, up, off the floor, it just became one criticism after another. You're going to do what? You're going you're gonna to be in ministry? You're not going to make any money? You, you, there's no retirement? People who tell you that they love you will turn on you. Your family's going to have to move every two to three years because preachers move around a lot. And then the other half was, well, we know you. We know how you act. We raised you. We know your past. You were a terrible, you barely passed high school. And you're going to go to college and you're going to be a preacher? Well, here, here's what I found to be true, and, and here's what I want you to remember before we move on from this point. If you're not ready to be criticized for your, your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Because criticism is coming. Joseph, man, he, he just had plain, everyday, ordinary obedience in spite of the criticism that ended with an extraordinary act of God. Because Joseph was obedient, he played a huge part in the Christmas story. If we were going to make a movie about the birth of Jesus, Joseph would be in one of the lead roles. But here's what I find fascinating. There's not one word in the Bible recorded about anything that Joseph ever said. You don't see him speak at all in Scripture. We know Joseph by what he did. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. Number three, finally, is this. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You, so in, in my house, and I, I, you know, my wife is in here, so I have to be real careful how I phrase this. Um, I, I, I think... Uh, as far as like discipline and like getting on to the kids, I'm probably a little more laid back, right? A little bit, a little bit. Um, but here's one thing I cannot stand to see in, in my children. I cannot stand to see delayed obedience. Because in my eyes, delayed obedience is disobedient. And I went through this little phase. I can't remember which one of the five uh, was a little trying. They were all a little trying. But I went through a, a phase with one of them where I did the, uh, I'm going to count to three, right? Hey, I need you to do this, and they don't do it. One, right? Two, and then you start to panic. What if I get to three? Two and a half, all right, three. And, and I, I was in the middle of one of those countdowns, and I was like, what are you doing? He or, three, he or she is three years old. They're not going to be able to reason with, with you. So I just picked him up by the elbow and gave him a little pat on the bottom and said, do it. Because I think delayed obedience is disobedience. So let's go back and see what the angel tells Joseph. All right? And I want you to see this in the context of you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Here, here's what he, he only gives him a few details. He says, all right, Joseph, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 20 and 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not take fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save the people from his sins. That is pretty much the only detail that's given to Joseph. Now, men, if you're in here, um, fathers, (laughs) if I don't know about you, but if I'm going to raise the Messiah, if, I'm, if God says, I want you to raise my child, I want you to raise my son, I've got a million questions. Like, when he's three, do I spank him or do I put him in timeout? Or he's God, maybe he puts me in timeout, right? Or when he's 13, do I, do I need to have that talk with him? He's God. He knows. I mean, I would have a million questions. And I'm sure Joseph had a million of them. Understandably, he didn't understand completely, but he obeyed immediately. Look at verse 24 again. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord told him. He didn't need to take a beat. He didn't say, well, give me a few weeks to ponder this. Let me do this. No, he went and he told Mary, we're doing this. I am with you. We're going to raise this child together. I I am your fiance. I'm going to be your husband. He obeyed immediately. And when you begin to study the Bible, you begin to find people all over the Bible who didn't understand completely, but they obeyed immediately. Like, let's just go through a few. Think about Noah. God says, Noah, it's going to rain. And I'm sure Noah thought, well, what's rain? Because it hadn't rained before then. It's going to rain. I want you to build a big boat. You know what Noah did immediately? He started building. Think about Abraham. God said, listen, pack your family up, and I want you to go in that direction, and you just keep walking, and I'll finally tell you where you're going to stop and where you're going to settle down. What did Abraham do? He started packing. Think about Joshua. He's leading the the army of Israel into the promised land. And they come to this fortified city of Jericho. And and God says, I'm going to deliver this city for you. Now, here's what I want you to do. Pull the army back. Bring the band members out. And march around the city seven times. And guess what they started doing? They started marching. Isaiah chapter 6, God says, I need somebody to start speaking. Who will proclaim my name? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And immediately Isaiah started speaking. Matthew 14, Jesus comes strutting out on the water in a storm. And Peter sees him and says, Lord, if you command, I will come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And immediately Peter started walking. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are chained up in a prison. They don't know how they're going to escape. They don't know how they're going to get out. And and Silas says, Paul, what should we do? He says, we should pray and we should sing. And immediately they started praying and they started singing. You see, I don't know what God's asking you to do. He might be asking you to start building, start packing, start marching, start speaking, start walking, start praying, start singing. But none of it's going to be possible unless we first start obeying. Psalm 119.32 says, I will quickly obey your commands. Man, when you start obeying, then you can start proclaiming Romans 8.31. If God is for me, who can be against me? Look at the reminder as we start to wind this down. 
that God uses to build Joseph up. And here's the last thing I want you to remember is this. Remember, God is with you when nobody else is. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God saying, Joseph, I'm here. I know you feel alone. I know you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, but I am with you, even when nobody else is. And I think he has the same message for us today. God is with you. Like, I don't know if you know about this or not, but God loves you more than you can imagine. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because he sent his son. He sent his presence to be with us. God is always with you. He's always present. So allow me to close this by using an illustration I used a year or two ago on prayer, but I think it translates really well here to kind of close this message out. The story goes like this. Uh, there was a new preacher that came to town, and a woman called the preacher to her house to see her father who was on his deathbed. And he goes to the house. He doesn't really know if the man is a believer or a Christian or not. Um, but when he, when he walks into the room, he sees a chair sitting by the bed. And he says to the old man in the bed, he says, oh, you were expecting me. And, and he said, who are you? <laughs> he said, well, oh, I'm the preacher. I saw this chair here. I thought you were expecting my visit. Just empty chair, you know. And he said, well, can you close the door? So the preacher closed the door. He said, I want you to close the door because I don't want my daughter to think I'm crazy. He said, I am a Christian. He said, but I've always had trouble praying. And I, I, I finally met a man about 10, 15 years ago that said, listen, all you need to do is put a chair, an empty chair in front of your bed or somewhere in your room. So you, when you're praying, you can just imagine God sitting in that chair. And you just talk to him like you're talking to a person. And he said, so I put an empty chair there and I started talking to that chair and I've been talking to that chair nonstop. My soul has been blessed by his divine presence and his divine grace. He said, now don't tell my daughter because she already thinks I'm losing my mind, but she's going to think I've just fully lost it. So he prayed with the man and then some months later, the lady called the, the preacher and said, hey, uh, my father passed away. And he said, well, how did he die? What happened to him? And she said, well, his sickness finally got the best of him. He said, but the, the strangest thing happened. It was strange the way we found him. When I came into his room, he was dead, but he wasn't in his bed. I noticed that he had pushed himself out of bed and he had put his head in the chair and died with his head in the lap of the chair there. I'll never be able to understand why he did that. And the minister at this point is wiping tears from his eyes. And he simply said, man, I wish we could all go like that. If you feel alone, I, I've been there. I've been there, man. It stinks. It is not a fun season to be in. But I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. 
Men and women will come and go. You will disappoint them. They will get mad at you. But God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The Christmas presents. God with us when nobody else is. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.